Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands he has. Pass. Wilson, quick throw. And it's good. Podcast presented by SB Nation. We are the voice of Patriot Nation. I am Pat Lane. With me, as always, is Ryan Spagnoli. Spags, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Doing well. Uh, great win Sunday. Finally, put end to all those stupid discussions we had to listen to. Um, obviously, we got Chris Gasper coming on the show in a little bit. Um, we'll get to that interview soon. Great guy. It was a uh, Really, really great interview. So I, I definitely tune into it. He's, you know, one of the best Patriot guys out there. I mean, his his insight and his, his takes are, are spot on. He's really good. So, yeah, like you said, it's a fun interview. We talk about a ton of things. We hit on Patriots, uh, Patriots Titans. We hit on Patriots Packers. Um, and so you definitely don't want to miss that. And as a matter of fact, we got to announce. Let's just get right into that. Here is Chris Gasper. Enjoy. All right, so we're going to welcome onto the show Chris Gasper. He is a Patriots columnist for the Boston Globe, and he is also the co-host of Gasper and Murray on Saturday mornings on 98.5 The Sports Hub. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess we'll get right into the game that kind of everyone was looking forward to. Uh, just maybe your biggest takeaway from the Packers game, uh, you know, on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway was the capability of the defense. They had obviously played well the previous game against the Buffalo Bills, but that was the Buffalo Bills. That's an offense in Buffalo that's struggling. Derek Anderson was a quarterback. This is against Aaron Rodgers, one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. And in the fourth quarter, you know, they hold the Packers to 22 yards of offense and Aaron Rodgers to two of seven for 15 yards. They have the key turnover there to limit those guys the way they did. That was eye-opening for me. I've been a big defender and I would say sort of backer of this defense this year. I just felt like from the beginning, on paper, what they had, bringing Hightower back, they should be better than they were last year. I thought that defense last year piled up some very nice statistics in terms of points allowed against weaker teams. But when it played some of the better teams, obviously Kansas City at the start of the year and Philadelphia at the end, it got exposed. So I wanted to see if the Patriots defense this year could hold up against one of the better teams. The last time they faced one of the better offensive teams against Kansas City, they allowed 40 points. So this performance to me, defensively, I thought was one of the more eye-opening performances of the year. And then on the other side of the ball, you know, offensively, I think what's eye-opening over there is just James White and, and how reliant they are on James White. And I know that's because of the Sony Michelle injury and obviously the beginning of the year playing without Edelman, but he really has become a guy that they go to. And my only concern with that is not the production. It's just, you know, James White is a guy that going into this year, he never had more than 99 touches in a season. He's already at 121. And you're using him on the goal line, you know, three times in a row to try and pound it in. And he finally gets in. But I just worry a little bit that 
by the end of the year, when they really need him, will there be enough tread left on the tire, given what they've had to do so far in the year in terms of his workload? Chris, uh, you talked about, you know, eye-opening experiences. I guess, you know, with the talent being there, it's not really eye-opening, but we haven't really seen him explode. Josh Gordon, really, you know, his breakout game, um, Brady seemed to use him a lot. Um, What has been the biggest thing you've seen from him, especially from that game? I noticed, you know, watching a little bit of the film, without Rob Gronkowski, we saw him run kind of some similar routes as they used Gronk. Um, I don't know if that's something they'll do in the future, given, you know, Gronkowski's health. But, I mean, basically, what have you seen, you know, what was your biggest takeaway from him? And, and going forward, what is something that, you know, they're going to need from him? Yeah, he's just great. I mean, he's the type of guy that they need on the outside that can beat one-on-one coverage. You know, he, he mm-hmm. is a man-beater. That's what he is. He's unfair he's one-on-one. Difficult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's an incredibly difficult guy to cover. He's big. He's fast. He's physical. You know, you think back to the Chicago game, the almost touchdown he had with the run after catch there when he went down to the one. Uh, the guy's extremely talented, but I don't think anybody's ever really doubted his physical capability. It's the question for him is reliability, and that goes back to the whole thing leading into the Buffalo game with, you know, him being late um, when they departed for Buffalo, and obviously we all know what his history is. And so the concern for me with Josh Gordon, look, and, and I'll be honest, he has exceeded my expectations in terms of how quickly he's picked up the offense. That's yeah. fantastic. So we know the guy can, can pick up the offense. Physically, he's as gifted as any receiver in the NFL. That's great. The question is, when we get to January, will he be okay and still be on the team? Or will there have been some incident where they have to let him go? Or some incident where he fails a drug test and the NFL suspends him again? So that's my biggest concern with Josh Gordon. The thing I do like about him, and I know there's a lot of Randy Moss-Josh Gordon comparisons, obviously different players, but the thing I like about Josh Gordon is, to your point about some of the things you've mentioned with Gronk, you know, from the beginning with Josh Gordon, they've run him on stuff over the middle, in cuts, plants. He's big, he's physical, he'll go over the middle. That wasn't really Randy's thing unless it was a big-time game and he had to do it. You know, like in 07, the Indianapolis game, he did it in the second half there. Super Bowl 42, he did it because it was the way to get open and get himself the ball. But that wasn't really what he wanted to do. Gordon's a guy that can not only go deep, but he will go across the middle. You know, he can sort of do the full route tree, and he's comfortable with the whole thing. And and one thing, too, you know, he we saw him, I mean, the, the small sample size in Cleveland, but there was multiple times where he'd take, you know, a three-yard slant and just take it to the house, similar to what Moss did a little bit in Minnesota. I haven't, we, you know, we really haven't seen that yet. And I know, you know, he just got taken off the injury report today from his hamstring. We haven't really seen that explosive speed yet. Um, you know, it's been mostly, you know, the, the, the great catches that he's made has been over the top. Um, it, you think that's something, you know, is he missing a step or is it something that, you know, maybe that hamstring has been bugging him? Yeah, I mean, he might be missing a step, uh, you know, in terms of the hamstring, that affecting him. Um, you know, he, he joked after the, you know, the Chicago game where he had like one of those great run-after-catch plays that got caught at the one, he joked that he sort of ran out of gas. Um, and, and there has been some sort of mention that maybe his conditioning is not you know, ideally where he would like it to be. Uh, so that's also a potential factor as well. Um, but I, I think he, the thing I've noticed about him, especially in comparison to some of the other outside receivers the Patriots have had over the years, you know, a guy like, say, a Brandon Lloyd, 
is, you know, those were guys that would catch the ball and basically go down. Uh, Gordon catches the ball. He can break tackles and get yards after catch. And, and the way the Patriots offense is built, that's what they want. That's what they need out of receivers. And so that makes him a good fit. You know, I think as he gets healthier and gets in better shape, maybe some of the things where he's taking and he's catching it and he gets, you know, 10, 15 yards after the catch, or like in Chicago where, you know, he gets 40 yards after the catch, maybe he won't get caught on that. And that will be a, a you know, just a touchdown. He'll just take that one to the house. But no, again, Sunday uh, night against the Packers, when he caught that ball and, and Tremont Williams whiffed on him, you know, there was nobody who was catching him at that point. He, he looked pretty fast to me on that one. Right. Well, it's also too, I mean, he hasn't played in so, you know, he hasn't played more than a few games in, you know, three or four years. And so it's like, you know, uh, you, I can see the conditioning not quite being there yet, which makes sense. Um, I did want to just uh, just quickly about Gronk and, and yeah. Sony, Sony Michelle. And obviously there was some, there were, a report came out from Schefter, I think it was Monday, saying that Michelle was on track to play, um, assuming that everything went well this week. That's That one surprised me a little bit because I thought, you know, why not give them until after the bye to kind of get ready? But I wonder if maybe that, you know, usage of James White may kind of um, make them go to Sony a little bit earlier than maybe they would have liked to, to kind of take some of that pressure off him. Uh, what do you think? And do you think either of them or both of them play this weekend? Yeah, it's tough. You know, I'll be honest with you. I thought Sony was going to play last Sunday. You know, I was in the locker room the Friday before that game and he talked and it just seemed to me his, his body language just seemed to be saying, you know, I'm good to go. Obviously, he didn't end up playing in that one. So my takeaway from that is, you know, I think he was pretty close last Sunday. And I would expect him to play in this one. Now, they could be cautious and not play him. I think what helps is is they do have the bye. So you put him out there and he plays. And now he has two weeks to recover from it instead of just, you know, sort of one week. I think that that could be something that factors into it. Uh, no question about it. And like I mentioned, and, and you mentioned it there, the workload on James White, I mean, they're so depleted there. They really wanted to stay away from Kenyon Barner. Uh, Cordero Patterson obviously stepped up in a big way for them, but that's not ideal, you know, using him. And I think late in that game, they had some ball security concerns, and that's why they kept giving it to White. So I think getting Sony Michelle back would help James White's workload. I think it helps balance out the offense a little bit as well. You know, Sony was on a pretty good roll you know, before he got hurt, he had three straight games, 98 yards or more. So I think that would help. And I think he was close last week and you can play him this Sunday. If he's good enough to go, he doesn't have to get 20 or 25 carries. Maybe it's only 12 to 15. And then he has two weeks before he has to play another football game. And, and, and that could sort of factor into it. You no know, Gronk, who knows, you know, when you're talking about a back injury, that's something that can flare up, you know, hours before the game. Uh, and this has sort of be, uh, been a recurring thing, I think, with Gronk at this point, you know, with the back and, and just in general in his career. You know, the interesting thing for me on Gronk is that every game he misses costs him money. You know, he has 109000 plus per game roster bonus for every game he's active. And now he's already missed two of those. He has all these incentives in his contract, including 80% of the offensive snaps. Well, now he's below that. No chance, so. Right. How does that factor into Gronk's decision-making in terms of him trying to say, I want to play? And how does it factor into the team looking at it and saying, yeah, we're going to get you out there? Mm. 
That's a good question. I mean, it is a good question. We'll see what happens there. What, what, just one more thing about the Green Bay game before we transition into Tennessee. Yeah. Adrian Claiborne, I, I, I just, for some reason, I just can't stand the guy. I don't know what it's been. I think it's all year long. I've just seen him run by the quarterback and let guys out, not keep contained. And he did similar things at the beginning of the game. <clears throat> Excuse me. But in the fourth quarter, he had a few really solid plays against Green Bay. Have you seen – is that the first time you've really seen that from – because to me it seems like that was the first time he's really done anything, um, you know, at least substantial. Or have you – you know, am I missing something? Has he been playing well before that, or was that kind of him breaking out a little bit? Yeah, I mean, he's had some pressures. You know, I think he's had a little bit of a, a difficult time adjusting to the way the Patriots play defense. And I remember talking to Rob Ninkovich once about this, and he was saying that in the Patriots system, if you're rushing the passer – there's a certain discipline required. You have to stay in your rush lanes. It's not like some of these other defenses, like say the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Where if you're an outside guy, you can literally just tee off and it's like, just get to the quarterback. And Claiborne played in Atlanta. He played in Tampa Bay. He played in systems where they were a little more geared to just get in the backfield, get to the quarterback. I think he's had a difficult time sort of having a more controlled rush. I thought he played really well against Green Bay. His athleticism was on display, uh, not just the, the sack he shared with Trey Flowers of, of Rodgers, but I thought a big play in that game was in the first half. It was like a third and two, and Rodgers decided he was going to run it, and Claiborne pursued him, caught it, knocked the ball out, and Green Bay didn't get the first down. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things they like about Claiborne is, is his athleticism on the edge. You know, he gives him a little more athleticism there. Uh, I was leery of that signing when they made it, to be honest, because he had the six sacks in one game last year against the Cowboys, against the backup. I don't think that he's an upper echelon impact pass rusher, and the Patriots are still looking for pass rush. But I do think he's a guy that can be useful just because of his athleticism. And if they keep working with him and he keeps adapting to what they want him to do, uh, I think he can make more of a contribution like you saw against Green Bay versus your feelings on him leading up to that game where, you know, I think you're right. He really hadn't done much. You know, he certainly hadn't popped to me. He really hadn't done much up until that game of note. Right. Chris, shifting over to Tennessee uh, before we get into, you know, Butler and Vrabel, um, Patriots seem to struggle. You know, it's felt like for years now with, with mobile quarterbacks and kind of that dual threat running back who can catch passes. They struggle week two with, um, I believe it was Grant in Jacksonville. Um, Kareem Hunt obviously put up a big game. Is I mean, that's obviously a cause for concern for the Patriots, but, I mean, are those two guys, you know, Mariota and Lewis, that big of weapons that they can actually hurt you and potentially steal one from you? Well, I mean, that Tennessee offense has struggled to, to generate, you know, yardage at times and, and points. You know, their receivers are not – really great. I mean, you have Corey Davis, who was a high draft pick, but hasn't really popped to this point. They're also banged up there a little bit. You know, Tywan Taylor's got hurt against the, the Cowboys. So it's been a little bit of a struggle for them. You know, we're all familiar with Deion Lewis and what he can do in the open field. Uh, I could see that being a difficult matchup for the Patriots. I wouldn't be surprised if, because the Titans don't have Delaney Walker, who's on IR, I wouldn't be surprised if Belichick tried to match up a safety like Patrick Chung or somebody like that against uh, Deion Lewis versus, you know, a linebacker being on mm-hmm. him. You know, the Patriots have done that at times this year where they've matched up Chung or a safety 
on like a really good running back out of the backfield. That would make some sense not to get burned on that. Uh, Mariota is a mobile quarterback. He can make plays. I think a lot of times the quarterbacks, the mobile ones that hurt the Patriots, and look, Trubisky did a good job running against them, obviously, (coughs) obviously this year. But a lot of times the guys that hurt them are the guys that not just scramble to scramble all the time, but the guys that can scramble to pass and break down a pass coverage. And I think Mariota is capable capable of that. He's one of those guys that will scramble, but he's not just going to take off to take off. He'll scramble to see if he can buy some time and and get somebody open. And and those are the ones that I think a lot of times will do a lot of damage long-term in a game to the Patriots. But, I mean, to answer your question when I look at it, unless somebody has a really big game for the Titans, I just don't think they have enough offensive weapons uh, to beat the Patriots in this game. Again, I mentioned that wide receiving core is really light. It's it's not really anything special. And so when you look at that, I think somebody like Belichick will sort of focus in on Deion Lewis and say, okay, we're not going to let Deion beat us. We're going to make somebody else beat us. Which makes sense. That makes sense. So let's switch the other side of the ball. Malcolm Butler, obviously – uh, you know, that was the big story after the Super Bowl was, you know, uh, Belichick benching Butler and, you know, the Patriots lost because Butler didn't play and all this other stuff. And, um, you know, he's been awful this year. I mean, just dreadful. And, you know, the yeah, numbers yeah. he's allowed yeah. have been terrible. And, I mean, he looked silly on both those touchdowns by uh, by Dallas last night or Monday night, I should say. What's going on with Malcolm Butler? And, and I'm assuming they're going to try – to go after him. I know he's super aggressive and, and they it seems like teams have used that aggressiveness against him. Um, do you expect the Patriots to go right at him and, and, you know, and can he compete against them? Yeah. I mean, you know, Malcolm's a really competitive guy and I'm sure he's going to be highly motivated to play this game against his former team. And he remembers what happened in the Super Bowl. Obviously it's been a, a bad year for him. I mean, statistically, if you buy into pro football focus, he's been the worst corner in the NFL in terms of what he's, he's given up and certainly the Patriots know him very, very well. And so I think if there's an opportunity to try and victimize him or take advantage of him on double moves, you know, he seems to have some issues with double moves. I think that they'll try and do that. But if I were Tennessee, you know, what I would try and do is put Malcolm on Julian Edelman because Malcolm's played against Julian and Julian is a guy that's going to run those shorter routes, the stuff that Malcolm likes to jump on. Uh, Julian will go down the field, but it's not his forte. And I think that that would give Malcolm a better opportunity to be successful than if you stick him on the outside and say, Hey, you know, we're going to have you follow around Josh Gordon. I I don't, I don't necessarily think that that would be a good matchup for Malcolm Butler. So it will be interesting to see, you know, how it works out and how the Patriots sort of try and exploit Malcolm if they can and what the chess match is from Dean Pease and Mike Brabel on the other side to try and prevent that. But again, if I were the Titans with Malcolm's physicality, his toughness, his competitiveness, his familiarity with somebody like Edelman, I'd put him on the, in the inside in the slot and see if, if he can cover Edelman in that regard, instead of putting him in a situation where he might be against somebody who's, who's more likely to go down the field on a double move. That's a really good point. That's actually a really good point because again, like you said, He's not going to, you know, he's not going to go deep. It, it reminds me almost, and obviously they're two very different players, but it almost reminds me of Brandon Browner. You know, they get rid of Browner and everyone's like, oh, they should have kept him. They should have kept him. And then you know, he plays that year with the Saints and he's statistically the worst cornerback in the NFL. Um, and then, 
you know, it's just, you know, same type of thing here. Now they obviously Butler's a much better player than Browner, I think, um, you know, but he's been dreadful this year and it, and it looks, I know you wrote an article about it, I think for the globe this week about how, you know, you look at Belichick's decision and it's really so far, at least, you know, you can't question it uh, as, as I feel like with most Belichick decisions, it just, it just ends up working out. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're right. Most Belichick decisions just seem to have a way of working out. I think Bill has a way of sort of seeing the decline in reliability or consistency of a player before other people do, not just media and fans, but even NFL people too. And you look at that, certainly I think that the Super Bowl decision, as controversial as it was, you you have to look at it in a little different light now based on the way – Malcolm Butler has played for the Titans this year and also sort of the way he played. I mean, he was trending downward in the postseason. And so when you look at that, you sort of start to wonder, you know, did Belichick know? I mean, I'll just be as honest as I can, right? You know, if Malcolm Butler played in the Super Bowl the way he's played this year, the Patriots still lose the game. Right. You know, if he's playing the way he's playing right now, they're still going to lose. You know, and I think that that's – I know that's hard for a lot of people – to accept and trust me I didn't like the decision at the time and it still bothers me that they didn't try absolutely everything to win the game because who knows maybe you throw Malcolm in that game and lightning strikes again like it did in Super Bowl 49 right. make one play you win but the reality is based on the, the, the sample size we've seen this year and the way he was trending in the playoffs against Tennessee and Jacksonville which is basically the same guy if you had thrown him into that game you still would have lost if he plays like this I agree. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then I guess lastly on Tennessee, uh, Mike Rabel, obviously the head coach there, first time Belichick's yeah. ever coached against a former player. Uh, he's obviously coached against players on his staff, but now, you know, the former player. And Rabel was talking a little bit about it this week and talking about how, you know, after he got traded to Kansas City, they really didn't talk for a while. Uh, at, you know, understandably so. I get that. Um, but, you know, now here they are again coaching against each other and – it's it's going to be an interesting matchup. Do you think that, you know, Vrabel has any kind of advantage over anybody else because he's played in that system, especially offense versus defense? You know, he knows that defensive system obviously extremely well. Um, does that give him any sort of advantage? And, you know, what do you expect, I guess, coaching matchup-wise? Yeah, I mean, you know, Vrabel was part, obviously, of the, the Houston staff that, you know, when the Patriots played Houston in the first round of, of the playoffs, you know, two years ago, they did a really good job defensively. In fact, Brady had the lowest completion percentage he'd ever had in a playoff game in that game and threw, I think it was two interceptions. Um, you know, one of those was off the hands of Michael Floyd. Mm. So that was kind of Floyd's fault. But, you know, Vrabel has a good understanding of the Patriots defense, a good understanding of Tom Brady and what makes him tick. Uh, but, uh, you know, you look at that, it goes the other way too. You know, Belichick knows Vrabel. Brady knows Rabel. They all know Dean Pease, who was there before. Normally, Bill gets the best of these matchups. I guess what's a little different about this one is can Rabel, as a coach, somehow impart to Matt LaFleur, his offensive coordinator, here are the ways to stress the Patriots' defense. Because when Josh McDaniels went to Denver in 2009 and they played and beat the Patriots in Denver – they came out and did some different stuff. There was a little wildcat in there. There were some other things, and it was pretty clear that he had an idea of how to stress the Patriots' defense and stress their communication. 
And can Vrabel do the same thing based on his experience playing in the scheme? You know, that's really my question. Because you can have the knowledge base, but if you can't teach it or transfer it to other people that don't have it, then it doesn't really matter. And so that's what I'll be interested to see is can Vrabel transfer that knowledge in a way to Matt LaFleur, the offensive coordinator, where they can put some stress on the Patriots defense from a structural and communication standpoint. I like it. Okay. Chris, kind of a last couple questions for, from the both of us before we wrap up. Um, we touched upon a little bit, you know, um, early in the show, you talked about James White, you know, being Mr. Reliable, uh, Mr. Dependable, whatever you want to call it. I got a little scenario for you. Um, I'd like you to chime in. We all can if we want. Um, you know, in the past, it's Ben Edelman, you know, but um, if you have the game on the line, key third down in the playoffs, you know, say third and seven, you got to convert. Who's getting the ball, number 11 or number 28? Based on this year, I'd have to say number 28. I mean, that's the guy, he, he wins his matchup consistently. He gets open. He breaks tackles in space. Um, that's no knock on Julian, but you know, sometimes when you're hot, you're hot. And look, we've seen it in the last two Super Bowls that when the money's on the table, James White is the guy you want to go to. So I'll say James White. I think, I mean, I think you're right. As much as, as much as I'd love to, you know, to disagree with you and, and say, you know, Edelman maybe, or even, I know Gronk wasn't an option, but, uh, you know, I think James White's proven his, you know, how valuable he is. And someone put up a Twitter question, I don't remember who it was, a few weeks ago about, you know, whether white or Kevin Falk was a better, you know, a better back for the Patriots. And, you know, I, I'm a huge Kevin Falk guy. And so I instantaneously was like, no chance, but you know, what we've seen the last two years, I mean, white is becoming that reliable guy. You know, Falk was that guy third down, everyone in the entire world knew he was getting the ball and he still got it and still picked up the third down and white's doing that same thing. And not only that, but he's doing it on a more consistent basis. I mean, he's second in the AFC in receptions which is just foolish as a running back. And so it's, you know, it, it's he's turned into that Mr. Reliable for the Patriots. Yeah, and there's no question about it. And it's funny you guys bring this question up because I think there's a little bit of an answer in it. And if you go back to fourth and two in Indianapolis, you know, where did they, where did they decide to go with the football, you know, in that game? You know, did they, did they go to Wes Welker or did they try and go to Kevin Fox? They tried to go to Kevin Fox. So I think that tells you a little bit of, you know, when in an absolute got to have it situation, if they have that third down back guy that they trust, no, I'm sure down in distance, obviously factor into it probably more the distance because it was right. relatively short, but that's where they wanted to go with it. So I think in a similar scenario, I think they would go, they would go to James White and you've just seen the way he's produced. And, you know, I covered Kevin Falk, uh, one of the great guys to cover one of the all time, Clutch Patriots, if I had to break it down, I would say, you know, Kevin was a better, I think, all-around back than James. I think he was a better runner with the ball than James and probably a slightly better pass protector. But I think as a as a pass-catching back, I actually think James has surpassed Kevin in that regard. And, and I don't say that lightly. No. I mean, I guess for my answer, I mean, I guess it's a great problem to have if there is one. I mean, both guys are fully capable of making a big play. They've both proved it. Um, but I'd have to go with you, you know, um, uh, James White, just because he's been so reliable. I, I don't even remember this guy this year messing up. Like, he, every play he makes is the right play. Every cut, every every time he touches the ball, he's making something happen. I mean, it's just, it's it's unbelievable. It's And another one of those uh, Belichick 
gems. I mean, fourth round pick um, was in a backfield with Melvin Gordon and Corey Clement, I believe. Like, oh my, that that Wisconsin team must have been loaded. And I, I, I mean, obviously back then I didn't recognize the name besides Gordon because he was the the big name back. But I mean, what a what a career he's had, and you know, really turning into that Mister Patriot. I mean, he's you see him answer questions. He's he's a true patriot. Yeah, and for, for them to lock him up too, I think was was key. I mean, they yeah. clearly went after him and locked him up and said, you know, we're going to pay him. You don't see that happen very often, especially when it comes to a guy who, you know, has some skills but maybe is limited in other places, and they obviously thought extremely highly of him, and that's showing this year. I mean, obviously it's shown, you know, it showed in the Super Bowl, you know, in, 20, in 2016, and it showed a little bit last year, and now we're getting way more of it this year. Uh, it's, he's been unbelievable. Oh, he's been great. <clears throat> no question about it. I mean, he's been fantastic. I mean, you can you can make a case for him certainly as as team MVP. And like I said, you know, the only thing I can say about it is he's been so good, and they've gotten to him so often. I just hope that he is good enough to go in the postseason because he's in you know uh, uncharted territory when it comes to this type of workload. I mean, he, he's way beyond uh, what he's ever had to endure, and he's not the biggest guy in the world. So you hope that it doesn't take its toll, you know, and it's one of those things. It's tough. You know, every week in the NFL, you want to win. You can't take any game for granted, especially the Patriots being behind the chiefs for home field all the way through the AFC playoffs. You know, they got to keep pace and win these games. And so it's hard to balance the short term and the long term. Uh, but that would be my only sort of, you know, it's not even a knock. It's just a concern with, with James White is, you know, are they are they overloading him? And when they get to the end of the year, are they putting him in a position where he's going to be worn down a little bit? That's the only thing you can right. say that's even remotely negative about the way that he's performed through the first nine games of the season. That's a good point. It is a good point. You know, you keep you brought it up, and and it's again, it's it's just you're right. Like that's if they lose him, they're going to be in some serious trouble. Um, so I do, I have a nostalgic question, but before, before I do, we didn't even talk yeah. about, you know, Brady Rogers and goat versus goat and all this other stuff. And, yeah. and, uh, yeah, sure. one, one statistic that, that nobody's brought up, um, that I haven't heard anyone talk about, which I don't understand why, but, uh, in the fourth quarter or overtime of the Super Bowl, Tom Brady has eight drives to either tie the game or take the lead in the fourth quarter overtime of just the Super Bowl. So not the playoffs, just the Super Bowl. Tom Brady has eight fourth quarter overtime drives to either tie the game or, or take the lead. So that doesn't include, you know, the first touchdown against against um, Seattle where they pulled within, right? Doesn't doesn't factor yep. in the other, the, the other drives against Atlanta. So uh, eight is just foolish. Second on the list is Eli with three. He obviously had both – you know, he had the end of 46 and the end of 42, and he also had one at the beginning of the fourth quarter in 42. Montana had two in the same game, uh, obviously the drive, and, and he had one earlier that game, earlier in the fourth quarter of that game too. So, But Brady is just so far above and beyond anybody else. And to me, it's – like that's the only thing that you need to know as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's got the five Super Bowl rings. He's got all the stats. He's got everything else. But it's like – when the game matters the most, it can't matter any more than a close game in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. He just comes through and shines every single time. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. The guy's really, really clutch. You know, I, I think if you're looking at it from the other side, I, you, you say, well, how many Super Bowls has Aaron Rodgers played in? I mean, part of it is, and that was a part of the big discussion leading up to that game was, well, what would Aaron Rodgers do if he had a coach like Belichick? Um, 
you know, I, I'm one of those people. I think the Brady Belichick argument is one that we always have. I'll be honest with you. You know, I'm a Brady guy. That's not to knock Bill. I just think that great coaching can only take you so far. And I look at 2008 as an example of that. I think that was one of the greatest coaching jobs I've ever seen. The team won 11 games, but they didn't make the playoffs. And they were right. five games worse than the year before. Um, you know, people don't notice that because to go from 16 and 0 to 11 and 5 doesn't sound bad. But if I tell you you went from 12 and 4 to you know 7 and 9, then you'd say, oh, five games worse. You know, that's pretty significant. Right. So, you know, I think when you look at it, I'm a Brady guy, and I agree with you in terms of Brady being the greatest. But I think the reason in terms of that particular stat, which is very telling about Tom, the reason some people might sort of I don't say discount it, but not say, okay, that's the one that definitively ends the argument is because a lot of people feel that one of the reasons he's in those situations, you know, playing in the eight Super Bowls is that because he has Bill Belichick and this great Patriots program that the two of them have, have sort of been, you know, part, I look at them as partners, have been partners in, and there's really not an opportunity for somebody like Aaron Rodgers to have something like that. So if Aaron Rodgers had played, you know, in eight Super Bowls, what, what would the numbers be? Um, I, here's what I think about the Brady Rogers thing. Brady, to me, is the greatest of all time. I think he's the greatest combination of winner and prolific passer, and that's what, the way I look at it. He's done it both ways. You know, just do whatever you need to do to win, forget the stats, and then the other way where it's like, hey, the stats really matter because, you know what, we need him every week to win and get to the Super Bowl. We need you to run it up and rack up these crazy stats like a Marino or a Manning. He can do anything. He's that versatile. When I look at Rodgers, I think Rodgers might be the most innately talented quarterback that I've ever seen. Like, I think that he can just do it all. He has it all. And it's not just physical talent. It's like mental talent, too. He can, he can process the game like a Brady or a Manning. He can run around back there like an Elway. He has a cannon for an arm, but he has, like, the accuracy and touch of a Montana. He just kind of – he doesn't turn the ball over. Um, he's the only quarterback with a, a better interception ratio all time than Brady. So when you look at all those things, I think that's why, you know, Rodgers is sort of in the discussion, even though he doesn't have the championships to match Brady and he doesn't have those, you know, drives that you mentioned uh, to match Brady either. Right. No, it's a good point. It is. And you're right. Talent wise, Rodgers is, is next level. But again, it's, it's that combination. That's like the perfect way to put it. And I think no one's, I haven't heard that from from a lot of people, and I like the way you laid it out that way because it's you know he has both. He can do both. You know, oh one wasn't about Brady; it was just about win the game. He made the plays he needed to make, and obviously drove him down to win the game in Super Bowl thirty six. But you know, it was more about the defense. But just do whatever it takes. Don't blow the game. And then you know you flip to oh seven and so on and so forth. And so I think I think it's a really good way to put it. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm with you on that, too, because the thing about it is when you look through history, right, most of the guys are either a prolific passer, they put up crazy numbers, and they won maybe one or two, or in Marino's case, none, or they're like, you know, sort of a great, they were a very good passer, like, you know, obviously Montana was excellent, but, but they weren't putting up, like, the highest numbers in the league. So it's rare to have the combination of both, like Brady's had uh, during his different stages of, of, of his career, yes. Right. You say the rings. It's funny. One of my favorite, all-time favorite uh, sports center commercials is Vinatieri, where he's going through the uh, security line and he's got the, all the rings. And it, I think it's <laughs> Jim Kelly and Marino behind him. And he's like, 
you know, he keeps beeping and he's like, oh, I always forget about that one. And it's just like, <laughs> look yeah. on their faces behind him. It's just great, you know? But oh, imagine, I mean, Dan Marino, yeah, the numbers, it's crazy. But it is it is a little fluky sometimes, you know, when you, you get the ring or you don't because, you know, yeah. the coaches around you, the players around you. But yeah. at, there is something to be said for a guy that can just, when it's all on the table, he just wins. You know, coaching aside, yeah. everything else aside, like sometimes you just need a player who's going to win. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I like this discussion. You know, this is a, a fun one to have about the quarterbacks. And, you know, the best way I can put it is take the stats out of it, which I know is hard to do. But it's, I think sometimes in sports, it's the feeling a player gives you. And so, like, in basketball with Michael Jordan, you felt like if he got the last shot, it was going in. Even though he missed, you know, there was that Nike commercial about all the times he missed, right? Mm-hmm. And so last year in the Super Bowl, Brady got that, that last shot, and he got strip sacked. But we don't really talk about that because the feeling – you know, I had in the stadium, I'm sure you guys had at home, oh, yeah. was that, oh, yeah, Tom's going to drive this down and they're going to score. And and in any game moving forward, despite that strip sack, that's the feeling I have. Whereas a guy like Peyton Manning, his contemporary, an all-time great quarterback, no question about it, but the feeling I had most times in those clutch situations with Peyton Manning, and I said this, you know, to Mike Felger a couple of years ago, that the 2009 Super Bowl with the Saints and the Colts, Felger and I were at, NBC Sports Boston, waiting to go on the air, watching the, that game. And when Indy got the ball, I said to him, I said, Manning's going to throw a pick six. And he did. And that's just the feeling that Manning gave you, which was like, he's not going to come through. He's going to make a mistake. And the feeling Brady gives you is he's not going to make a mistake. He's going to come through. He's going to win the game. And it's hard to quantify that, but there is something to be said for the feeling a player gives you. It is crazy, too, because we were talking on our last show, like, we were just talking about, you know, touching a little bit on the Red Sox and how diehard people are. And we were like, the Patriots could be down 25 nothing. We could be cussing, screaming at players how bad they are. But inside, you just have that feeling that they're going to come back every time. And it starts with number 12. You know what I mean? Like, Belichick says it all the time. Uh, players win the games. Coaches can only put out so many schemes. The players are the ones that have to execute it. And Tom Brady is the epitome of that. Like, Everything he's put out there, he's mastered, and it says something about his ability. That's why he is the greatest of all time. Yeah, that's a good point. So, all right, it's yeah, it's a fun. I mean, we could I we could go on all night, but oh, I know. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's wrap it up. I do want to wrap it up with kind of a nostalgic question. Um, I know you grew up in the area, and by the way, I know you went to the Globe in '01, and you know the Patriots started winning championships in '01. It's just a coincidence. I became a season <laughs> ticket holder in, in 2000, and, you know, the oh, Patriots great. started. And so it's like, you know, I think we may have contributed a little bit, you know? <laughs> uh, me, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, sometimes the, the, the universe, the cosmos works in a weird way. The stars have to align. So maybe in some teeny, tiny, infinitesimal way, yeah, we contributed. <laughs> See? That's it. That's all. Um, so, like I said, you grew up in the area. I'm just curious about – you know, favorite yeah. old school Patriots player for you. So obviously, you yeah. know, in the 90s, everyone loved Bloodsoe and Terry Glenn and Willie McGinnis yeah. and those guys. But, you know, <laughs> kind of guy that was under the radar, maybe not everyone loved, but it was like, oh, that was just like your guy. And who knows why, but he was. Oh, that's a tough question. But I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with a pair of running backs here. One was I was a big Tony Collins fan. Um, I like Tony Love Collins it. back in the day. I'm I'm a little older than I look, so uh, you know I do remember that that '85 season. Uh, I just thought Tony Collins was really cool. I wasn't really a big Craig James fan. I wanted Tony Collins to get the ball 
thought he had a really cool face mask. I liked the way he ran. So I was a Tony Collins guy. Uh, this Patriot is less obscure, but, you know, his career was very, very brief. I was a huge, huge Robert Edwards guy, and I was oh, so disappointed man. when he got hurt. Yeah. That's one of the that's one of the all-time worst, you know, Boston injuries. Obviously, you know, there's been there's been quite a few, but but that one there is like one of the all-time worst. It's just it was so heartbreaking for him to go down like that. Yeah, in a, in a flag football game at the Pro Bowl, like just unbelievable. <sighs> and I think a lot of people forget just how good he was his rookie year. You know, I, I've seen the Patriots have the stats, you know, for Sony Michelle and who, by the way, also went to Georgia like Robert Edwards did, you know, right. Georgia uh, alum or Georgia product. And people forget how good Edwards was. I mean, no Patriot rookie running back has had three or more 100-yard rushing games in a season since. Robert Edwards in 1998. It's been, you know, 20 years. So I think people Crazy. have sort of, he's become this like footnote guy. Uh, but I, I was a really, I really, I liked him in college. I was excited when the Patriots got him. I loved his rookie season. I was very disappointed when, when he got hurt. So I'll go with those two guys, those two running backs, Tony Collins and Robert Edwards. Oh, that's solid. That, those two good picks. Edwards almost, almost made a comeback. I mean, they, he almost had his leg amputated. The injury was that bad. It's it's crazy to think Correct. about how terrible it was. Uh, and he, I know he tried to come back with Miami. He was just never. He just wasn't the same. Understandably so. Um, but you know, oh, that was a huge blow for sure. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, one of the sort of great what ifs. You know, what if that doesn't happen? What kind of career does he have? You know, who, right. who knows how it goes? I guess for mine, I'd have to go. I mean, <clears throat> I've. 21 years old, so I was born in 97. Um, I mean, for me, it's probably David Patton. I mean, obviously, I want to say someone that's kind of under the radar. Uh, He made some big catches down the stretch, especially in that 2001. Kind of solidified that role of, like, just like an everything receiver. Caught everything his way, played in different schemes, you know, ran different routes, and caught some huge touchdowns. Obviously, um, that famous throw to the back of the end zone in the the first Super Bowl, Tom Brady's first Super Bowl. touchdown pass and I believe he caught a similar play in the AFC title game that year that drew Bledsoe through to him when he came in for Brady so I mean big time player I'd have to go with Patton yeah yeah very clutch guy great story in terms of how he got you know back into the NFL and all these like he was like loading trucks or something you know and then he got back into the NFL and he was he was a really good player really clutch player I think another Another guy that sometimes people forget from those teams is Roman Pfeiffer. I was a big Roman Pfeiffer guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was awesome. He was awesome. I, we talked about it off air, but Jimmy Hitchcock's my guy. I don't know why. I just always loved that guy. I really, <laughs> really wish that I could say Tony Simmons because when they drafted him, I loved that guy. Oh, and then yeah, he actually yeah. got on the field, and he, he couldn't catch a cold. And so so it isn't Tony Simmons, but I really wanted it to be Tony Simmons. Uh, and he was just terrible when he played. And so, you know, but Jimmy Hitchcock was uh, – he was that guy for me. So, um, yeah. Chris, thank you um, so oh, – go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I was just going to say, let me tell you a, a quick story. It's just funny about how wrong you can be about something. But uh, I covered um, – I didn't even cover. When I, when I graduated college, I spent a summer working – for the Patriots. I have, you know, checks that were signed by Robert Kraft. And I, I was a circulation intern for Patriots Football Weekly uh, after I graduated. This was, I graduated from college I, and I, was, I, had, I didn't have a job. So I worked that summer as a circulation intern for the Patriots. 
and and so Tony Simmons was on that team, and obviously nobody know knew who like Tom Brady you know was at that point. Drew Bledsoe was still the quarterback summer of of, of 2001. So I'm, I'm obviously dating myself here. But I remember the New York Giants came to Smithfield, Rhode Island. The training camp was still down there. And the Giants were the defending NFC champions. And they practiced with the Patriots. And they just, like, dominated them in the practice. And I remember leaving that day from working and thinking, man, this team's not going anywhere this year. And boy, was I wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they just, I mean, that was a team that they started out 0-2 when they looked awful. And when that when Brady went down, something just clicked and changed. And uh, you know, unfortunately, with the newer generation, Bloodso doesn't get the appreciation that he should because I think that that season doesn't happen unless Bloodso gets hurt. Now, and, on the other, on the flip side, you know, I can tell you that if it had been a different quarterback, that you know, I don't think it would have held up because for him to obviously he wanted to play, but for him to continue to go along and be a good teammate and be there for, for the quarterback, you know, for Brady and everything, I, I think was invaluable to the team. Um, but, you know, he definitely doesn't get the recognition he deserves. And I think because of that injury, we look at that injury as the start of the franchise, as the start of the dynasty. And it's like, well, that was the, the marquee quarterback that we had paid, you know, $100 million for that offseason. So uh, it's just, it's kind of an interesting situation. Funny story on the 01 season before you guys, before we let it go. Um, my father, his, his best friend, his roommate from uh, from college, they had a bachelor party in Vegas, I think around July, June. His friend, being a typical Boston guy, had a little bit too much to drink, goes to Vegas, threw X amount of money on the Patriots to win that year, um, and woke up the next morning, was like, what was I doing, blah, 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 come February, <laughs> come February, whatever, first, second, whatever it was. He was the happiest guy on earth. And I believe my dad never really told me. He kind of hinked at it. He might have threw a little bit in too just to maybe soften the blow at the time. But uh, God only knows what <laughs> – maybe my parents went on a trip or something. I was only four years old. But that that that's oh, wow. uh, that season was, was incredible. I was obviously just like four or five years old. But, I, I mean, I still wow. remember my parents going crazy with the tie law pick six. I remember it. So that's all that counts. Wow. Who knows? Maybe that's your college fund. I know, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Yeah, if that doesn't make you feel old, oh my goodness, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting so. up there. I think I think we all are. <laughs> yep, yep, that's the way it works, you know. So it's better. It's better than the alternative, as my uh, as my buddy's dad would say. So, uh, no Chris, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, before you go, why don't you plug yourself? To, you know, tell people where they can see you and interact with you. Yeah, sure. Um, my work uh, in the written word is on the Boston Globe and thebostonglobe.com. You can catch me on 98.5 The Sports Hub on Fridays with Felger and Maz from 4 to 5, on Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Gasper and Murray with Jim Murray, my extremely talented uh, co-host. And then I do Patriots preview uh, every week with the equally talented Mark Bertrand. So I'm fortunate to do that as well. And Every once in a while, you'll see me pop up on NBC Sports Boston on early edition uh, with Gary Tangway and Penny Kuznarek. Now you're way too nice. Now how many how many times how many times? Let's be honest. Let's try to be honest here. How many times have you wanted to punch 
like Felger in the face. <laughs> uh, Fel- uh, Felger? I mean, Felgi can be frustrating, but he's actually a really great guy, and he's given me a lot yeah. of opportunities both at 98.5 and uh, when he was full-time with NBC Sports Boston. So he does a lot for a lot of people in the media. You know, I always compare Felgi to, to Deion Sanders, right? He has this sort of public persona, this, like, you know, personality persona that he puts out there that is good for business. And uh, then there's sort of the real person, you know, behind that. So you just have to be able to separate the two. Right. No, that's cool. That's always, it's always good to hear stuff like that, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I like, you know, Fel- Felgi's been really good to me. So um, I know he can, and he's also extremely talented, you know, he's very good at what he does. Uh, he sort sure of founded the, the take industrial complex in a way and, He's a radio host. He's an entertainer. And I think that as an entertainer like that, you have to elicit some sort of emotional reaction from your listener base. And it's either hatred or it's love or it's a combination of both. It's ambivalence, whatever it is. You have to elicit something. And he's, he's really good at that. Right. Okay. Well, let's, that any listeners out there, then keep that in mind. The next time Felger pisses you off, just remember that in real <laughs> life, he's a nice guy. And he doesn't, he doesn't deserve it. So, but Chris, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. It means a lot to uh, the both of us. Obviously, you taking the time out, you uh, being the, quite the media celebrity, I guess you could call yourself, taking the time to help us out and get our name out there. It's uh, it really means a lot to us. So I appreciate it. Big fan of your work too. Oh, I appreciate that, guys. It was my pleasure. I, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Once again, thank you to Chris Gasper for coming on the show. Like I said, we can't stress enough how much of a great guy he was taking the time out of his busy day. You see him all over TV and all over the radio, and you know, it means a lot to us. So thank you again. Uh, kind of our last segment of the show, Pat. It's our weekly segment, Up High, Down Low, Too Slow. Uh, I'll start it off with the Up High, Cordero Patterson. Another great week. Um, kind of asked to be put into several roles in the offense kick returning. I mean, we really haven't seen him as a receiver that much since he's been getting carries, but great job. Uh, I believe, I mean, maybe not his first rushing touchdown of the year. I could be wrong there. Um, Yeah. yeah, He he looked great. I mean, he isn't your typical running back. He doesn't look, you know, like a running back when he takes the football, but Hey, here's the whole go run through it. Use your athletic ability. And he's been doing a great job of it. You know, is he the question? Is he the, is he the answer going down the stretch? No, but like we said in the interview, if they can use him to take a little bit of the load and to save uh, James White, go ahead because he he's proven he can do it. Right, and I think I think he looked a lot better running with the ball this week than he did last week. He looked more like a running back this week. Still runs straight up because that's what he does, but he was hitting holes. He was making moves inside of holes and making people miss, and so uh, I was impressed with the way Patterson played. So he's definitely an up high. Uh, number two on the list is Josh Gordon. Kind of had that, finally had that breakout big play, uh, you know, with the with that play, by the way, you know, the pass, the long pass to Gordon was just so sick. Brady draws both cornerbacks up with his eyes and has Gordon and Edelman all by himself uh, and, you know, hits Gordon, obviously, and the safety misses the tackle and he basically walks into the end zone for a touchdown. Um, so, you know, that's, we'll kind of go up high with Gordon on that one. And like you said in the interview, I think they're using him similar to the way they've been using Gronk, uh, you know, before he got hurt, obviously. And so I think he's filling in uh, in places as well. So uh, definitely for Gordon there. Uh, the next one is is Trey Flowers. Trey Flowers is just disgusting. 
He lives in your backfield. Lives in your backfield. That guy's amazing, man. He's, he's always on, in in the in, you know, like I said, always in the backfield, always in the play. I mean, I think the Packers. I think a couple plays. One play in the third quarter, they double covered him, and he bull rushed two guys. And I think he's got a decent shot at Rodgers, or, or just missed him. But I remember looking at that play, like you know, like damn, like this. He, whatever whatever he wants, pay him because this kid's an elite, elite pass rusher. He proves it week to week. He brings his A game all the time. Um, it, he's, he's incredible. He had nine pressures on Sunday night. Nine. Crazy. Another That's Belichick gem. Fourth round, yeah. 101st overall. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, and then uh, Claiborne, Begrudgingly, I'll say Adrian Claiborne. Uh, That's your I've been guy. slow That's your on. Guy, Pat. That's oh your guy, God, Pat. I just, I just your guy. can't stand the guy. But he he played well at the end of the year. At the end of the game, uh, he did have he had another sack that actually was um oh time man that that was uh, taken off the board because of uh, because of a penalty, and he had a half a sack with uh, Flowers. He also forced uh, Rogers out of bounds on a third down, so he made some really nice plays in that fourth quarter. Um, didn't play super well before that, and we'll get into that later. Uh, but he played extremely well in the fourth quarter and really kind of came out a little bit, I thought. So uh, so Claiborne is, is there. And last guy on the list, Lawrence Guy. Uh, again, Guy has played pretty well all year, I think. Um, but that forced fumble was huge. Changed the game. I thought that, you know, it was over, basically. I was really concerned the Patriots were going to lose that game. Green Bay was driving again. The Patriots offense hadn't been able to figure anything out. And, you know, they get that strip set. They get that strip of, of uh, Aaron Jones, and Patriots go right down the field and score. And then, you know, it just kind of goes from there. So that was a huge game changer. So that's our last up high. Uh, we'll switch, switch over to down low. And uh, we're going to take rush defense first. I think the rush defense in general was just brutal. Yeah, too many just, big plays. It, too many big plays. Yeah, and but not they even big plays, Rogers, which was which was okay. You know, I, I'll take right. it. this week. Um, their main priority was stopping Rodgers, and they did that. You know, through two touchdowns, he, whatever. He was trash in the fourth quarter. Whatever, give him the running. Aaron Jones, let him run. Whatever. When they got Rodgers back there, stop him. I'm okay with it. But I, I agree, it was it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Right, and I think I think to your point that it may have been a little bit by design. I mean, I remember uh, when. Uh, Manning came in and no Sean Moreno had like 200 yards rushing and the Patriots won because they were like, run all you want, but your offense runs through Manning. And so, you know, fine. And maybe they did the same thing. Uh, and the Packers just too stupid to capitalize. I mean, the ball first and goal with the two, and they've been picking up two yards at least on every single carry. And they threw the ball three straight times and had to kick a field goal. And it was like, what are you doing? Just run the ball and they, they refused to do it. And so, you know, maybe the Patriots knew that and they said, fine, take the carries, you know, until you get inside the 20 and then we'll stop you. And, you know, and, and stop Rodgers. And like you said, they, they were effective at doing that. Yeah, another uh, down low for us. Um, Josh McDaniels, um, I don't know what he was thinking. Um, believe that was the second quarter or third quarter. My memory's off, but you get the Jets um, three plays on the one yard line and they settle for three there. Or, or they turn it over. Did they turn it over? No, no, they got three. They got three. Okay, but still, I mean, that there's no excuse for that. You you gotta get you gotta get six there. Um, the play calling was terrible. 
I mean, hand the ball off. It's one yard. Go put Patterson in there to just le- literally lean over the, the offensive line. Uh, they kept running into guys, and just, just the play calling was just brutal. Right. No, that's a good point. And I, I think, you know, there's certainly things to question there. I think he did kind of throw the kitchen sink at them, which is good. But you also wonder about it. I mean, they had that. So they had the play. Um, in January, I'm not worried about that. Then they're not going to mess around. You know what I mean? I, I understand. It's it's like right. it was like, what are you doing here? But when January, February comes, like that, that's where they're just so much better than everyone else. It's it's well, chess playing. And that's, that is a good point. But you know, you mentioned 2014, and and um, they were talking about this, and I don't remember what you know what special it was or whatever. But you know, the play where um, Brady throws it to Edelman, and Edelman throws a touchdown pass to Amendola against. Uh, Baltimore, they almost ran that play against Kansas City when they were getting blown out at the beginning of that season, and the the defense wasn't there, and so they called the play off. And if they had run it there, now it's on tape, and maybe that play doesn't work. And so it's like, yeah, you probably don't need that, but at the same time, maybe you will. But then again, you know who knows. And so it's uh, you know, it's interesting. But I thought he threw the kitchen sink at him, and maybe he'll come back, but. Hopefully it doesn't, and I, I think you're right. It probably won't, but either way. Uh, but I do like them kind of going all out trying to win. So uh, the last two, I'm going Adrian Claiborne because Claiborne played before the fourth quarter was brutal. Um, on the Devontae Adams touchdown, he bit on a fake inside, didn't been contain doing, been Rogers doing it all year. outside. Been doing it right, all year. and and. Rogers got outside, was able to extend the play, and Adams just found a soft zone, and uh, you know, and he hit him for a touchdown. And so, you know, it's some, it's the same stuff we've kind of been seeing from him, and, and maybe hopefully that fourth quarter kind of turns the page a little bit for him. But that was rough. It was rough. So, uh, first three quarters, Claiborne, not great, uh, and then Jason McCourty, I think, played pretty well outside the long uh, that long pass to you know the. Exxon Valdez, whatever the hell the guy's name is. But, um, you know, it was just – it was one of those things where he got beat deep there. He did recover pretty nicely, and he played pretty well outside of that. But he's been shaky at that second corner. I think Jonathan Jones has played well. I don't know if he'll get that outside role. Um, but, you know, McCourty's been shaky here and there. So um, that's our other down low. We don't have five. We Honestly, we don't have five. We couldn't think of another guy. And so we're just giving you four down low. We really gave you more than four down low because the rush defense was one of the down lows. So we gave you like, you know, what's that? Uh, we gave you a lot. We gave you what, three <laughs> plus seven, which yeah. is 10. So we gave you 10 down lows. So, so how about that? Okay. Uh, and then our two slow is Chris Hogan. Because Come on. Yeah. He's, it's, just, he's been brutal. I don't know what it is, man. They talked about it today on, uh, uh, I think Paul Perillo is on Felger and Maz. And, you know, last year he was so good. And then he kind of had that shoulder injury, and he struggled after that. I mean, he had a huge Super Bowl, but before that, I mean, he was almost invisible out there. And you kind of figured that was that was the reasoning behind it. You know, he was not healthy, and now it's just picked up. I don't know what it is. If it's if it's Gordon coming in, and and the the kind of the the rise in in targets and James White or you know Edelman back, and but like you, you figure with with the trust he has in Brady and the and the the you know the play he's capable of. He has. He's been a non-factor. He has been. I mean, he was high on my list this year as a breakout guy. I thought he'd have a monster year, starting at week one with Edelman out and that question at the receiver. He's done nothing. No, he hasn't. And and I think it's been a consistent 
it's been a consistent thing. And you saw it starting really in the 2014, 2016 Super Bowl. I'm sorry. He just can't beat man coverage. And if you put a guy on him in man coverage, he can't do it. And so, you know, if you, if you screw up the coverage or you play zone against him and you lose track of him, he can beat you. Cause he's, he's fast enough to do that, but he hasn't been able to break a lot of man coverage. And I think that that's, that's been an issue. I mean, Gronk's not even on the field right now. And when he is on the field, they're not throwing the ball to him and he's still not getting any targets. And so, yeah, that's, that's a bad, that's bad news, um, you know, for the Patriots. And, you know, he missed, he was targeted a few times Sunday night. Brady threw one 15 yards over his head, which makes me wonder if Hogan wasn't supposed to be deeper or, you know, what happened there. But anytime a guy's not seeing targets and they're not on the same page, you almost wonder, like, was that one on Hogan and not on Brady? So, um, you know, that's kind of – that's the question there, I guess. So, but anyways, that's what we got. That's that's all we got for the show today. Thank you for listening again. Um, you know, rate, subscribe, review the show on iTunes. Um, you know, we are on the Pat's Pulpit feed. So you're going to get the Pat's Pulpit podcast with uh, with Rich Hill. You're also going to get the uh, Patriot Nation podcast with us. And so, you know, you kind of get everything all at once, which is nice. You don't have to think about it. It just downloads and boom, there you are. Patriot stuff pretty much every day. So, um, so that's good. Do that. And follow us on Twitter. I'm uh, at P Lane underscore Pats. I'm always talking sports. So, you know, you want to, you want to get on there and talk sports, hit me up. DMs are open, tweet at me, whatever you want to do. Um, but, you know, I'd love to talk sports with you. Yeah, you can follow me at Ryan underscore Spags. Pat, it's been a pleasure. Once again, thanks to Chris for coming on the show. And uh, have fun down in Nashville this weekend, Pat. Oh, yeah. yeah, thank you. Can't wait. Spots. You know, it's, I'm heard it's a great spot. I'm trying to get down there maybe for spring break or something like that. Um, take the lady there or something like that. But we got to check the yeah, funds. Call. No college. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear that. So, but, yeah, uh, I right. understand. So, anyways, yeah, thank you. And, uh, and again, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you uh, next week. We had a good show next week, too. And uh, we're heading into the bye next week. But we'll still be here. Patriots will be on bye, but we'll still be here. Uh, we don't take a bye. No bye weeks for us. No days off. No week. No weeks off. That's right, brother. All right. See you guys. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.